Hi, and welcome to Thank God for Therapy, where we discuss theology, therapy, and trauma recovery. My name is Crystal Britt. I'm an ACSW acquiring my clinical hours in the state of California, and I interview people and individuals who have experience within religious communities, specifically the evangelical Christian community, and are seeking assistance with therapy uh, and exploring their spirituality and deconstruction. In this episode, John and I discuss the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast that Christianity Today produced uh, just a few months ago. Now, if you haven't listened to it, it's an amazing podcast to listen to, especially alongside this one as we're talking about religious trauma and the way that religion and its culture can affect parishioners for years to come. Through this conversation, we talk about my experience at a particular Christian college that I attended in 2005 to 2006 and knew a couple weeks in I needed to get out immediately. We also discuss safety within churches and how churches do or don't facilitate or produce that sense of safety for people who attend. And at the end, there's a snippet where John and I try to use a metaphor and talk about Euphoria, a show neither of us have ever seen. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening. Thank you so much for your support. And if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, we would really appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoy this one. So, Crystal. What do you want to talk about today? You know, I was... I know that we've... Uh, did you finish the Marcel podcast? I did. I did finish it. I'm trying to remember where it left off, like what the conclusion was. But I know I know that I finished it because when we had talked about it, I thought it had finished and there were like three additional weeks left. Yeah. So I was and so excited. And in fact, there's some more bonus content coming down the pipe at some point. Awesome. What was it like for you to hear it? What was, it, what was the process like for you to hear of all the damage of a toxic masculine leader. So what was really interesting for me listening to it, because I, so I graduated from high school in 2005. I started college in the fall of the same year and I attended a college that eventually led to me being interested in like the emerging church movement and actually led to me becoming a social worker. Like it was, really? yeah, it was a situation where I got in very early on, knew that like this was not the college that I wanted to continue to attend. Um, I like, it started a lot of my, like, I would say that was probably like the start of my deconstruction yeah. or the start of like threads being pulled and like, this doesn't make any sense. Um, and so Mark Driscoll, I'm trying to think, I don't think Mark Driscoll at that point was on my radar, but Definitely like the toxic masculinity, like mm-hmm. the very patriarchal run, complementarianism st- not starting to make sense to me. Um, watching it play out in real life. I, I don't know if it was because it was out of high school and it was like out in the quote unquote real world. But watching these people and being like, this is more like culty than anything. So listening to Mars Hill, the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, it was very validating uh-huh. for me and very... Um, I would say like more eye opening to kind of that crossover between like theology and psychology where those two things meet and re like reiterated for me and like reinforced for me the into like the intuitive feelings that I've had in different situations before becoming a therapist of like something's weird, like yeah. something's off here. This isn't right. I did not know that about your story. Uh, first of all, I didn't even know you knew the emerging emergent like language. Mm-hmm. Like I, th- I figured that was a little bit before your time. 
Yeah. No, that was very, very much right in inside that 2004, 2000, I'm sorry, 2005, 2006. So as you were processing leaving one institution for another and some of the ways that that school that I think you could safely say was steeped in the in the complementarian tradition and gender yeah, roles at, at, were like at, that's, very that's being generous. Yeah, clearly <laughs> defined, clearly defined gender roles. Gender and there roles. There may or may not all, have been a seminar that I've got a that we had we were required to attend every year, and that year was focused on gender roles and. Uh, I, I can't remember what what really nice dressed up term they use for it, um, but anyway, yeah, it was a conference that we had to go to, or we missed all that counted as all ten chapel misses for the semester. So you missed them all. Yeah, you missed them all <laughs> if you did not attend that conference, and that conference was the first week back from Christmas break. Wow! Yeah. Hope you had a great Christmas. Hope you had a great Christmas. Here's you our have gift. To come. Here's our gift to there you. There are no classes this week, but you have to come to this conference. I almost said the name of the conference. That's all right. <laughs> That's all right. We'll let the uh, we'll we'll let the listener guess what what that school was. That's enough. That's but, enough info to Google. But in processing all the messaging that you got there, and processing your own faith and journey, mm-hmm. that led you into a place of being exposed to the emerging church, some form of deconstruction. I think a lot of terms, a lot of ways that the whatever we meant by emerging emergent, whatever mm-hmm. was was talked about there, it, it really was a way of deconstructing, particularly some of the forms and functions of worship in the church and some of the yeah. some of the theology that that was due for a change and yeah. um, ways that culture was moving really fast, mm-hmm. faster than the church could keep up and, yeah. and people were falling through the cracks there. And that led you to be to be drawn towards so you said social work. So was that therapy in general or just uh... No, it was social work in general. Um so I when I was at the first college that first year, I really wanted to I thought teaching was what I wanted to do. And then um and like for the record would have been a terrible idea. Like I would have been a I would have not had any emotional energy to be a teacher. Yeah. Um and essentially that school told me like when I did career counseling, essentially they told me like there's really not a major that we have for you that is like suited toward your person like I took a like a personality or a career test and they right. were like yeah like we don't have anything in health and human services like that's your highest score for almost everything and we don't have anything for that um yeah well they probably they probably once you check the box that you're a female they're probably like okay <laughs> like, that's oh, all oh we don't have things. all the other questions are irrelevant do you want to major in home ec because we don't have that's what we've got um yeah it I mean they had biblical counseling but at that point I call it like I was like, yeah, no, thank you. Um, that wasn't, and also, like you're saying, was very male dominated. Like there were not very yeah. many women within that major. Um, so yeah, so then I decided to look. So what what happened was I went, I left one Christian institution for another Christian institution. Yeah. <laughs> so being the first kid to go to college and having gone to Christian junior high and high school, I wasn't ready to leave that culture. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I looked locally for what would be considered the first school like the heathen like yeah. liberal the most like the most opposite you could yeah, get it's, it's jay adams or it's liberalism yeah and- exactly um and so that was apu so then that's how i ended up at azusa and they had psych i mean they have psychology and they have counseling but um social work was much more interesting to me mm. um because i didn't want to pigeon my I, at the time i didn't want to do individual therapy mm. so i didn't want to be pigeonholed into okay you're going to be a therapist i wanted to do something broader but i didn't know what wow so i uh was listening to an interview this week with the with the guy who did the put together the christianity podcast on mm-hmm. mars hill mm-hmm. and the the hosts were kind of 
pushing him uh, to, to say, why didn't you name a couple things? And one of the things he named was complementarianism and toxic masculinity. Uh, you know, others were just, you know, evangelicalism. He's like, why didn't you go all the mm. way and, and, and name some of these things? And he responded in a way that, that really got me thinking. He said, you know, I, we just want to tell the story. If people want to make those connections, they, they, they did. But the funny thing is, if you talk to a Presbyterian and ask them what they think they should, Mark Driscoll should have done or the elders should have done, they, ask, they answer the question as Presbyterians. And they say, uh, somebody like Mark Driscoll never would have got through the screening process. Things would have been flagged early. They would have not got the endorsement of the institution. Or if you talk to a seminary professor, they say Mark Driscoll never went to seminary and never received a formal theological education. He says, whatever your bias is, mm. that's what you project onto that and say, well, that's what that's what should have been done, which is mm -hmm. which is an excellent answer. And I was I was thinking about that, about how um, one of the I heard about this study about therapists mm -hmm. and they said, you know, there's so many different schools of therapy and um, different schools that people operate out of to help people. Surely one's better than the other. Um, mm. And I'm not going to embarrass myself and name <laughs> some of those like Freudian or cognitive sure, behavior sure, sure. or you know, some of these other ones. Um, but surely one empirically is better than the other. And they did the study and uh, did you, have you heard of the study? No. They, they said the only, there was no one of those proved to be better than the other. So the mm -hmm. only determining factor is the trust between the client the and the therapist. Mm -hmm. And if the person says, I feel heard, I'm taken seriously. I'm safe that I can share whatever I want mm -hmm. and not and not feel the therapist judge judge me or mm -hmm. I was thinking you know I wonder if churches are like that too with mm -hmm. all these different theological systems and you've got high church low church evangelical mm -hmm. charismatic mainline catholic orthodox I wonder if you did a similar study of the different traditions and thought which one produces a healthier disciple of Jesus Christ, sure. which, which one has an advantage. If, if, if you could empirically measure that, I wonder if you would find the same thing. They're, mm -hmm. they're all basically the same. Mm -hmm. The difference being the kind of culture a church creates mm -hmm. and whether a person, much like a therapist, can say, I'm safe in this church. I'm loved by this church. I can share in this church and not be ostracized and kicked out of it. Mm -hmm. And it's those same things that make a, a therapist therapeutic relationship healthy and good and positive mm -hmm. in a lot of the ways are, are the same same things that can make a church healthy totally which is very interesting because i feel like there are like i can think of a few churches just off the top of my head where i feel like there would be a lot of pushback toward that being the main goal for their church right right like the goal right. is not for us to make you feel safe or comfortable mm -hmm. or right like there's such an emphasis i feel like in evangelicalism of like we're made like if we made you feel uncomfortable well that's the truth right 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 and like the problem lies with you and like your convictions and or you know you, you being convicted is like not on me mm -hmm. um and so it would be really interesting to me to have a study like that to see kind of like what i would be interested to like weigh the mental or to measure the mental health of those people coming out of churches who do right. offer those protective boundaries and the or protective measures and like um, what we would call like resiliency factors for a community versus ones that like are uh, churches that are like, you know what, we offer truth here. And that's what we offer God's truth right. and that's it. And if people don't like it, that the, the problem isn't with us. It's not with the, com right. the community that is considered toxic. 
it's with you. You can't right. handle the truth. You can't. Right. So, Which I feel like was a lot of what Mars Hill was about, right? Right. 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 Like this is biblical masculinity. This is biblical femininity. This is gender. Like this is biblical gender roles. This is what you're supposed to adhere to. And if you don't want to adhere to it, not only are you out, but like you're yeah. out with a vengeance, right? Like the don't let the door hit you on the way out. The fact that there are protesters outside is not a sign that there's something wrong happening inside here. It's a sign that we're standing up for the truth in a secular yes. in a secular context and culture. Yeah. And so everything that was happening could be folded into mm-hmm. that that message. You you used a phrase there. Mm-hmm. You said resiliency. What what resilient cultures or institutions? Tell me tell me a little bit more about. Yeah, like resiliency in terms of like wider cultures or yeah. wider communities. Yeah, like what, how does what does resiliency look like in a church or community? Totally. So resiliency within a church or community, to me, like as I'm like using it, how I would define it would be the ability for like expectations to not be met, like for a person within the con- like within the con- uh, congregation, thank uh-huh. you, yeah. within the congregation to have expectations that aren't met or to have. Um, like something happened to them that would make them feel hurt that then they could, they felt like they could come and repair it, right? That things are in place, that systems are in place that are like, no, I know I have support here. I know if I raise this concern that I'm going to be met with love and understanding and not, I'm not going to be placated. I'm not going to be tolerated. I'm not going to be treated like a child. Right. I'm going to be like heard and respected and Mm -hmm. And it's going to be like me and who like and whoever upset me or whatever upset me. We're going to make this right. Mm-hmm. I feel safe to bring these concerns, and so it it in I don't know that anybody's ever used that. I know <laughs> it's right. I know I, I like it. So let me but, let me give you a couple of examples, and you tell me if 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 this is kind of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So let's here's here's an easy superficial one. Let's say you have a teenage daughter, mm-hmm. and she one week dyes her hair green. Mm-hmm. And gets three piercings in her ear and shows up to church. Mm-hmm. Is a resilient church one that can receive that girl mm-hmm. without saying these are outward signs of sinful behavior? Yeah. Can is she still accepted there? Is she still loved there? Or are these external behaviors something that are going to cause mom and dad to say, "Put a hat on, you know, right. take take those studs out, like we, you know, put your hair over your ears"? That there's a there's a subtle pressure for parents to get their children to conform to external things so that they can fit into this church. That would be a non-resilient church. Yes, for sure. So I will give you a, uh, like a, again, like a superficial, but like very powerful example, like three months in or maybe two months in, we, we had been coming to restoration long enough for it to be, for you guys to know who we were and for us to show up and for you guys to be like, Oh, like your kids are here. Mm -hmm. Um, but not long enough that it was like, yeah, this is just like how the, the Brits show up. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And two out of my, no, I, we only had two at the time. Uh, my youngest kid at the time had forgotten their shoes. <laughs> and normally, right, like before we had moved here it at, at our other church, it would have been like, I guess we're not going to church. I guess we got to like turn around and go home. And here it was very much like literally no one cares. Yeah. Get out of the car, go into Sunday school. Like you're going to be fine. Right. Mm-hmm. It's that thing of, no, you're in a safe place. You're accepted. You're loved. You forgot your shoes. You're a human being. No one here is going to look at me sideways. They're not going to look at you sideways. I'm not going to feel shame as a mom for that mm-hmm. because that's the kind of community that we have here. Those are like the protective barriers that produce the kind of resiliency that I feel like everybody wants in a church, religious community, you know, neighborhood community, any kind mm-hmm. of community that they're looking for. I feel like that's a factor. 
second hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Say the preacher's preaching. Let's say it's the, uh, the, the, the story of uh, the woman caught in adultery, dragged to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Men want to stone her. Jesus writes on the ground, sends them away, and, and um, says, you know, where are those who come to judge you? Well, neither do I condemn you. You know, go and sin no more. And let's say in there the, 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 past, the, the pastor really highlights her sexual sin mm-hmm. and reduces that go and sin no more simply to sexual sin as if she is a sinful woman. We'll mm-hmm. just, we'll, I, I don't want to use gender language. But, but let's say you're, you're a woman in there and you're listening to that and you think, Man, this this really, I, I feel uncomfortable with the way she's being talked about right now. I feel like that she's being shamed for a sin that, if you look closely at some of the cultural factors, that mm-hmm. that's not she's not a 21st century woman who's using her body in, in how she, right. like she. There's there's other factors going on here and dynamics, and so let's say you go to the pastor and you say, um, you know, I just something about this made me feel uncomfortable. I'd love to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And the pastor's like, I would love that. I would love to hear from you how you received it and heard it. And then maybe that next Sunday, the pastor says, I was reflecting on some of the things I said on Sunday and I realized that I reinforced some shaming things towards women in their bodies that I don't want to do. I don't want to be a mm-hmm. part of that. I'm, I'm sorry that I did that um, and appreciate that being brought to my attention. That'd be another way mm-hmm. that that would be a resilient church. That's a, that's yeah. a church where you can you can bring a concern Mm-hmm. To a person in power and authority, and you are not treated as a threat. You're not treated right. as somebody that is bringing in, you know, liberal ideas and right, you know, modern right. and stirring up trouble or stirring up trouble. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually uh, and pastors not threatened by that. Leaders that aren't threatened by that. In fact, a culture that welcomes anyone and everyone to to share that kind of thing in in in, in a fruitful dialogue. Right, and an open dialogue as opposed to well, I'm the one who has studied this. I'm the one who right like. Oh well, that's really cute that like you had a different idea of it, but like right. that's like your you know because um, it's not always presented as like liberal education. It's it's sometimes presented as like um, oh well, like you're being too sensitive. Yeah. Right. Like well, that was that's really not like the point. Like defensiveness, right? Like bringing up defensiveness. It's like this open arm of like thank you so much for having this mm-hmm. conversation with me. Right. Yeah. Like I I know of churches where that woman could go well first of all like wouldn't even have access to the pastor right right right. um or it would be an email that would be shot back of like oh well you know he doesn't have time to meet with you but here's like you know one of our assistant pastors here's a here's a volunteer and it's gonna be a little condescending and and it's gonna be remind you where you went to seminary oh wait you didn't you're a lay person right that kind of condescending and yeah and it's an institution that is that, that is in in some ways um insecure yeah. That, that there's there's hierarchy and the structures and yeah. when somebody from the bottom comes up to bring a complaint right. that threatens that there's hierarchy threaten, yeah. and it makes that um person it's almost like a because i told you so kind of thing it's like yeah. oh, I'm, the, I'm the expert i'm the stage i got the mic i got the education for sure therefore i'm the expert sure it's a very authoritarian like approach to i mean it's essentially taking you know like a like a ceo business model right from any other kind of like structure and bringing it in of like, no, there's a hierarchy here and you don't tell me right. how to do my job. The, things start to break down real quick. Yeah. If if that isn't. And then you realize that there, there's something at the center of this organization that's, yeah. that is causing people to intuitively understand I'm not safe here. And I think that that is why when I go to a 12-step meeting and mm-hmm. recovery and I enter into a space that's sacred and people mm-hmm. share openly and 
and directly and, and people are called out when they're not being honest. And it's a space where I feel safe. I, I can yeah. share whatever I want here. And right. people are going to be in solidarity with me in my sin and shame, not mm-hmm. in judgment in my sin and shame. And I think mm-hmm. people in, you know, often in churches, that those churches can can send those messages of, of shame mm-hmm. and of saying to people in the congregation, this is a space where we pretend like we'd have it all together. And if people knew right. the real you, you wouldn't be welcomed here anymore. Right. And I think too, like, like as you were talking about, like the hypothetical, like going to a 12 step program, like within social work, that's something that was really hammered into us early mm-hmm. because we had to do things like as part of your assignment for your addictions class, you have to go to a 12 step meeting. They would tell us before we would go, or like we would, um, they would assign us to take public access to a Medicaid office so that we would, or a Medi-Cal office so that we would know from, cause taking it from Azusa, the closest one was Pasadena. So really? we would have to take public access from, to get a Medi-Cal application if we weren't using the internet, right? Cause we're assuming that like not everybody has had access at the time to the mm-hmm. internet or printer. So we would go down there and it would take like three hours. So you would, so, as part of it, your training, have to inhabit the space of somebody that didn't have access to the internet, that didn't have a car that they could just drive wherever they wanted. Mm-hmm. You had to take buses as a student. For social work? Sit in line. Yep. Get the documents. Go back home. At least for, and I don't know how it is in other social work programs, but because they're like all overseen by the Council of Social Work Education, I have to assume they're similar. APU did not let us get away with not knowing what it was like, at least partially or as much as we could as like white kids going to a private school, right. know what it was like to be in the shoes of our clients. Wow. But saying like, go to a 12 step meeting, we were told like, you do not speak. Right. Right. Like you, right. And you let them know you don't come in like, oh, I'm just like observing as another addict. Like you let them know this is why I'm here. Right. 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 I'm here observing and I'm going to shut up and I'm going to listen and I'm going to learn. Right. And I think the opposite of that is represented in a lot of evangelical churches of like, you don't, I don't learn from you. You just learn from me. Yeah. Right. I'm here telling you what's true because you're thinking about like, without me, how would you interpret this and understand these? Yes. No, that's, right? that's and, and, I, and I too, because I, I, we, we have a mutual friend and mm-hmm. she's going through therapy, counseling training and mm-hmm. she's in in downtown working mm-hmm. with people in recovery and and she has some pushback against some of the of the 12 steps and some mm-hmm. of the the ways in particular that there's some some power mm-hmm. imbalances there and, and things that need to be thought through and I, and I really caused me to rethink some of my uh, my experiences and opinions about 12 step and, and I wonder if the real power is not in the steps but in the community yeah. and in that shared space where I am loved and accepted with people who Battling, in their battling addictions have only known shame and have mm-hmm. only known boundaries and, mm-hmm. and consequences and broken relationships. And I mean, the space where I can just be myself here and experience that love. I wonder if that is the real secret sauce of those groups. And I don't mean to like, uh, like take this to like an extreme, but like you look at something like euphoria, which I've only seen like clips of, but yeah. like my, I don't know if I could handle it like emotionally. I, I'm the same way. That's, I've, re- I've it's read just too much. <laughs> I've read a ton about it. Uh-huh. I've read all of the episode synopses on Wikipedia, so I feel like I can speak yeah, I'm, like I'm, halfway informed. You know, I'm glad you know it exists, I mean? but my teenage daughters are not allowed to watch it. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, but like in reading through that as well, right? Like that's part of what is difficult about bringing somebody out of addiction, right? Right. Because there is a big sense of community. 
right? There's right. trauma bonding. There's shared experiences. There's like there is a a sense of belonging that people aren't getting elsewhere, right? So, so let me let me let me play the devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. Why would people change if they're loved as they are? If they're just accepted? If we're just accepted just as we are? What motivates, particularly if we're talking twelve step, you know that that would be something that we'd agree upon is destructive habits mm-hmm. that, that that destroy and take and ruin bodies and mm-hmm. ruin minds and and rob of the ability to be a contributing member of of society. Mm-hmm. Why? What is the? Where's the transformative power in mm-hmm. that? In that? Like, what's the driver? Like, why would why would there ever be a drive to leave that? Yeah, so if, that sense of belonging. You know, if we've talked about three spaces: the the, the therapist client relationship, the healthy church to congregant relationship, mm-hmm. and the person in recovery to the mm-hmm. to larger community of of, of fellow um, addicts. I'll use their terminology. I don't sure. love calling them addicts, but sure, that's their preferred terminology. Sure. Why are those spaces spaces where actual transformation happens if they're so grounded in unconditional love and acceptance? Because I don't know that it would be categorized as unconditional love and acceptance. I think that in those, I feel like in addiction, it looks like the closest that they've ever come to unconditional love and acceptance. Mm. Right? right? Because if they have a need, there's a supplier who's willing to meet that need. Right. Right. That's conditional. That's not unconditional. Mm. Right. And so I think without having like having an addict background myself, right, or a background in addiction, I would have I'm would have to assume that the community there, there is a sense of community and definitely a sense of loss, right? When they walk right. away from that. Yeah. But the it's so it's the it's learning the difference between I'll use a trauma a trauma term that I read a couple of weeks ago that I have been using constantly. Um it's from uh, the author of My Grandmother's Hands. And he writes in, he defines pain in two different ways. There's clean pain and then there's dirty pain. Oh, Crystal, what's the difference between clean pain and dirty pain? <laughs> so the difference between clean pain and dirty pain, dirty pain is what comes of negative habits and are like the consequences of our like our actions, right? So in simplistic terms, it would be, a you hangover. know, say it again. A hangover? Yeah, right? Like a hangover, right? Like that's dirty pain of like, this is the consequence of what I've been dealing with. Pushed her too hard last night, drank too hard, ate too much. Now I'm waking up feeling dirty pain. Exactly. And having to deal with that for the rest of the day or for however long the hangover lasts, right? Clean pain is like when you go to the gym Mm -hmm. and you get muscle fatigue, Mm. right? And the next day you're sore all day long. Right, you can't right. sit down without remembering that you're so sore. Yeah, right? that's, that's the, 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 the the tiredness of your legs and body after a long run, but it's right. also a life giving, endorphin filled, right, joyful experience. So, in the same way, I would say that within addiction, there is that clean pain and dirty pain, right? Ooh. What's the clean pain of addiction? Clean pain of addiction, I feel like, would start with like withdrawal symptoms, mm. right? Like very, very visceral. Like very I'm difficult. pushing through the withdrawal symptoms. It, but it's a clean pain because I'm. It, it means my body is, is pushing the mm-hmm. toxins out. Right. It's weaning itself off of the drug so that mm-hmm. I can get clear. Right. And then the dirty pain would obviously be like some, you know, similar to you know alcoholic hangovers of yeah. you know all the physical implications after coming down off a high that you're dealing with. Yeah, I heard I heard somebody say that's good. Um, I heard somebody say recently, a good friendship is with the people that see the best in you and say, that's the real you. Mm. And I think in each of these environments, it's being seen not by our shortcomings and failures, mm-hmm. but the best version of ourselves as the truest version of ourselves. 
And I think when we're in those spaces, that true self emerges and mm-hmm. is safe. And there's a clarity that comes about all that, which takes us away from that. Mm-hmm. And the ironic thing is in these spaces that aren't safe, where I'm pressured to to hide those spaces, mm-hmm. that tends to be spaces where I define myself by those shortcomings and by by the the less best versions of myself, mm-hmm. because that's that's the highlight. That right. that's the that's where the focus is on that. It's not unconditional positive regard. Right. It's you are bad. Right. And it's it's a focus on the dirty pain mm-hmm. um, rather than um, pushing us to go to that clean pain, pain to, to, to move more and more towards that, mm-hmm. whatever that best version of ourselves looks like. And what For it is. sure. More toward our core selves. Yeah. I totally agree. So. Well, thank you. This has been great. Yeah. You've been listening to Thank God for Therapy. I'm Crystal Britt. Thank you so much for listening. Remember that this podcast is not a substitute for mental health uh, advice or treatment. It's for educational purposes only. If you're looking for a therapist, you can look for one at inclusivetherapist.com or openpathcollective.com, neither of which are affiliates of mine. Uh, They're just great places to find somebody who can give you some help. Until next time.